Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Good morning. This is our sixth week into our summer series on the church. We're about halfway through. And if you're joining us for the first time today, we are thinking about the church through the lens of family. And so last week we started thinking about specific roles in a family structure. We talked about the fact that the church needs fathers, but of course, just as in any biological family, there are tasks and functions that are unique to the father, so too there are tasks and functions to be carried out that are specific to the mother. This is why the world was not complete when God created Adam on the sixth day. Everything was good when he created the stars and the the firmament, the water, the sea, when he did the separation. All those things were good except on that last day when he created the animals and when he created Adam, he he said, it's not good for man to be alone. That That was the first not good in the creation of the world. So he created from the rib of man a woman, Eve, the mother of all the living. Likewise, in the church family, we must have godly mothers just as we have godly fathers. And so we are turning our attention this morning from fatherhood last week to motherhood. I've titled this sermon, The Glory of Motherhood. Would you stand with me as we read from our passage in Titus chapter 2? If you have your Bibles, you can turn there and follow along. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they might encourage the young woman women, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together and you may be seated as we do so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for providing us fathers and mothers in the faith to be taught by and to be encouraged through. Thank you for the women of this church and the glory that they are. We now pray that the words of my mouth and the inclinations of our hearts together would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now near the end of Tocqueville's classic book, Democracy in America, which I had to read in undergrad, he says this, Now that I'm drawing to a close of this work in which I've spoken about so many important things that I've seen done by the Americans, to what the singular prosperity and growth and strength of that people ought mainly be attributed, I should reply this, to the superiority of their women. That was what Tocqueville saw in America that set us apart. And if he could say this about the women in America in his day, 
how much more could and should be said and commended about the women of God throughout the ages? How much more could be said and should be said about the women sitting here with us this morning? Women have always played a central role in the history of redemption. From the time that God created all things to that great and final glorious day when he will call his to to be with him in the new heavens and the new earth, women have been playing a role. From the very beginning, it was declared through the seed of woman, the serpent's head would be crushed. And then going on through Sarah and Rachel and Ruth and Rahab and Mary and the various women that loved Jesus and ministered to him in life and in death. You remember that who was with him on the cross as he hung there? It was the women that loved him were with him. The disciples were hiding and afraid, but those that loved him, James was there. We know he said, James, this is your mother, take care of her. But it was women that were with Jesus on the cross. And then there were women that played a central role in the early church in the New Testament. We read about Priscilla and Lydia and Phoebe and Iodia and Syntyche. And we have Timothy's grandmother and mother, who we know helped lead him to the Lord. And then if we keep going in history, we read about Monica, Augustine's mother, and Elizabeth of Hungary, and Anne Eskew, and Renee, the Duchess of Ferraria, and then people like Amy Carmichael. God has called women to lives that are glorious. In fact, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that woman is the glory of man. Woman is the glory of man. If we go back to Genesis for just a moment in our minds, when Adam is presented with this woman from God, he exclaims these words, bone of my bone, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And Adam here is not just speaking the first love poem ever said, he's also making an exuberant declaration about Eve's beauty. The Lord brings him to her. He comes out of his sleep, he sees her, and he makes this statement about her appearance, her form, her features, who she is. This is Hebrew comparative structure when he says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He's, he's making a statement about her beauty. He's, she is like man, only better only glorified. This is what Paul means when he says that the woman is the glory of man in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Women, God has created you to be the glory of man. This is certainly true in marriage, but it also transcends marriage. As Tocqueville saw in The Woman of Amer- Women of America, so anyone with eyes and a brain who comes into this church will see that, that you are the glory of this church. And that is to the glory of God. You're not robbing God of his glory. It's glory to God because that's the way he created it to be. He is glorified when his truth is recognized and embraced. You are the glory of man. Now what does our text from Titus have to do with women being the glory of man? Everything. Paul is speaking in a very abbreviated fashion here in our text to Titus, um, and he's going to be challenging Titus to carry this same message to the the Cretans. And he's talking about the fact that there should be these relationships between older and younger women as they live out their glory. Older serving as sort of mother figures to those that are younger, and the the younger being uh, fruitful to their families. Now, I've 
been married almost 11 years at this point. And many of you have been married, if, you're, if you are married, many of you have been married longer than me. And so I hope you'll be able to relate when I say that time would fail me. I, I could not try to describe all of the ways that I see Aaliyah's glory. How many of you guys have ever written a card to your wife on Valentine's Day or on your anniversary and you have a thought and you start writing in and the card's one page and then it's two pages and at some point you just got to wrap the thing up, right? But you have thoughts that are coming to your mind. And I, I did that a few months ago for Aaliyah and it was, I had to just make a list and cap it at a certain point because there were many things I could speak to. There were, there were many things that I recognize in her. It's not just one thing, it's everything. Her compassion, her patience, her belief when I want to give up, her faithfulness, her loving tenderness toward the children, her insights, her ability to not get stuck in a rut, but to persevere. Guys get stuck in ruts and want to just destroy the thing. She helps me to persevere. Her desire to beautify, whether it's the the home or the garden, her work ethic, these things and many more are part of her glory. That's why, these are why she is my glory. But if I was to have to be forced to pick one thing, and if you, for your wife, you had to think and, uh, and pick one thing, one reason why your wife is your glory, you might share the same thing I, I have to my mind. And if I had to explain it, if I had to say one thing that I thought encapsulated my wife's glory, it would be her motherhood. To me, that's, that's what I would say. I'd say motherhood because motherhood is the primary task that God created women for. He created Eve to be Adam's helper, that's true, to help him in what? To help him in the glorious work of filling and subduing the earth. Adam couldn't fill the earth by himself, and I know that that point would probably be contested today, but he couldn't do it. And so God made woman out of Adam's rib to receive his seed and to bear and to raise his children towards this great and this glorious goal of subduing the earth, the very thing that we still are called to do by God. We see this reflected in our text when Paul instructs younger ladies to love their husbands and then logically flowing from this command, right after that he says, and to love their children. Beyond this, Consider the name that Adam chose to give woman. He named her Eve, meaning mother of all the living. He chose to give his glory this title of mother. Motherhood is the crowning glory of woman. The radiance on the smile of an expectant mother should testify to this truth. But not only is motherhood glorious because it's the primary role that God's created women to fulfill, but... The nature of motherhood is itself also glory. The nature of motherhood is glory. And I'm speaking to you women, and I hope to encourage you, I'm also speaking to the men and reminding you that the nature of your wife or the mother is glorious. This is seen as a baby is born. In the giving of yourself, the changing of your body, the discomfort, the mourning sickness, the labor, And in the past, oftentimes, the giving of life itself. Motherhood is a giving of yourself for the well-being of others. That's what it is. And this giving of yourself continues on through the nursing years and then the years of carrying the car seat in the crook of your arm. 
and it continues to having to pack things for simple meetups with friends so that you'll be able to care for the needs of that little one. Motherhood continues on and trading out whatever is maybe on your book list for an ex- almost exclusive diet of Sandra Boyton and Eric Carle. And, and that's a joke because you probably, if you're a young dad, have a lot of those books memorized yourself, but it's really so much more than even this. Motherhood. Motherhood is sacrificing self-concern, concern for yourself, on the altar of concern for others, and especially those that are vulnerable and powerless, which is to say that motherhood images the work and the glory of Jesus Christ when he came and gave himself to die for people that were weak and pathetic and helpless. That is the picture of motherhood, and that's why motherhood is glorious, It's imaging the work of Christ and giving up himself for the sake of of those that couldn't help themselves. So it's my goal this morning with the time we have remaining to do a couple things. The first, I want to speak to the necessity of motherhood in the church. Second, we're going to move on from there. And if you're a woman, I want you to come away encouraged to press on in the glory that God has given to you. And also, for the men, I want us to leave with renewed gratitude for the women that God has placed around us. That's what I'd like to do together with you this morning. Just as the church needs fathers, the church needs mothers. We do. It's true in the literal biological sense that for the church to grow, there needs to be, um, there needs to be new life born within her. Now, everyone knows it's a sign of impending death in a church when the nursery has no crying, and when they cancel youth group on Wednesday night because they don't have the youth, and when there's no dings and gashes in the drywall, that church is reaching the end of life stage. Quite literally, the church needs children. It's the primary way in which the gospel is advanced through God's covenant promises. That's what this scripture teaches. There needs to be multiplying and hence mothering so that there can be subduing. But the need for mothers in the church goes beyond the biological function that women are called to play. And I'd like us all to hear us on that because there are women here who don't have physical, biological children. The need for mothers goes beyond the biological function that women are to play. A few years ago, I think it was 2016, we had a a short series of sermons titled Mothers in Israel. And that title came from a phrase that's used in the Old Testament only twice. The first time it was used by the prophetess Deborah in a song in which she was describing how she delivered her people, the people of Israel, from a Canaanite commander. And she sang that the travelers went in roundabout ways and the highways were destroyed and peasantry had ceased. It had ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose a mother in Israel. That's the first account we have in Scripture. The second account takes place a few hundred years later during the reign of King David. And at a certain point, David had commanded his commander, Joab, to go out and chase after a a man. And Joab comes up against a city, and he besieges the city. And some of his men who are with him start to topple the city's walls. And a wise woman, we don't know her name, but she's described as the wise woman of Dakota, Tekoa, rather, shouts out from over top of the wall, I am of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You are seeking to destroy the city, and you're seeking to destroy even a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? What's apparent 
is that by this time, the term mother in Israel has become well-known to God's people. It's something that's commonly used because Joab understands what this woman is saying. He goes, whoa, I get it. And he calls his soldiers back, and they leave that city. They, they don't besiege it any longer. They don't topple the wall. And so what we know is throughout the Bible, this term in the Old Testament, only if we're re- we read of it twice, is something that, that Israel knows of. Mothers play a crucial role. There were those in the Old Testament and New that were recognized for their mothering. Even mothering a city, like that wise woman of Tekoa did, or mothering a nation, a mother in Israel. Just as fatherhood is more than strict biology, motherhood is not confined to caring for one's own children. And I know that there are those here who have not been able to have children, or who are still single. And this sermon is for you. Isaiah says, more numerous are the children of the desolate than one who has a husband. And this is something I saw this past week at VBS. I saw mothering by those who have no children. And so even as we speak about motherhood this morning, do not buy the lie that these words and that scripture's message is not for you. It is. The church needs mothers. The church needs mothers in Israel. This is what the Apostle Paul is teaching in his letter to Titus. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they might encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And at this point, I want to reiterate that I couldn't be more grateful for the love and the character of the women in this church. It is the glory of our church. I look out and I see the ways that you are giving and sacrificing with joy and with faith, and I say praise God, praise God. I hope you hear my words this morning in the same spirit as the church in Thessalonica, the, Thessalonica, the, the church of Thessalonica heard Paul when he said to that church, I see that you love each other, but I want you, even as I see that love, to continue in it all the more. I want you to pour the fuel on the fire of your love. And so I really want you to hear my words uh, and my encouragements to press on and to continue to, in this glorious calling all the more than even where we are right now. So with regard to, there's two types of women in this chapter uh, in Titus that are addressed. There's directly addressed are the older women. Uh, indirectly addressed, we see some things about younger women. We're going to talk about both of those groups. With regard to the older women, Paul addresses some common vices. And he says they should be reverent. They shouldn't be gossips. They should not be given to wine. He's Again, this is, this is not a complete list here. You would think if Paul is giving a list of instructions to Titus about everything he should teach, it would be much longer. He's identifying quickly some things that he views as important and offloading them to Titus to give him some direction as he's a younger pastor in a church. And then he, he, he says they shouldn't be given to these things. And then he says that they must teach younger women. And so the point here that we need to recognize is it's not enough to do well with maybe raising your own children and then retiring. It's not good enough to just spend your later years living 
a moral lifestyle yourself personally. What God wants from you, what God wants from you, is to continue the work that you have been engaging in, in mothering, in, in pulling in younger women and caring for their needs. But now you're not just serving as a mother to young children any longer. You are to serve as a mother to younger mothers. God's expectation is that you teach and serve as an example to the younger women of the church, to serve as mothers in Israel. Older women, this is my exhortation and my encouragement to you. Do not let the glory of your motherhood fade. Don't let it fade. Remember, just as it was common for older women to slip into sins of gossip and drinking when they feel lonely, it is common to neglect the work of teaching those that are younger than you. If this wasn't the case, Paul wouldn't waste his words offloading this kind of challenge to Titus. I think there are a few reasons that can get, a few things rather, that can get in the way of older women serving as mothers to those that are younger. And I'd like to spend just a few minutes talking about some of them this morning. First, as I said a few weeks ago, if I were to walk in here this morning and come up onto the platform and look out and ask which one of you is the old woman, I would be very hard-pressed to get anyone to join me on the stage. I know, old woman is one step removed from older woman. I get it, I get it. But no one wants to be an old woman. The term older woman is relative. So my younger sisters are older women to my three-year-old daughter. And there is a sense in which those that are younger, even a few years older than maybe a girl below them, can be helpful and can teach uh, and, and serve as an example. And that common sense teaches us that Paul is speaking of older women here that have already seen the mature fruit of children raised and the uh, mature love, a mature marriage in its sunset years. All this to say older women is a relative term, it is, but generally speaking, it means older, as in not young anymore or no longer youthful. When I wrestled in high school, I had a habit, it was a bad habit, I probably had many bad habits, but one sticks out at this moment, and that was the habit of injuring my partners. I can remember broken fingers and maybe a broken back and um, broken leg, I think. Um, And it was known enough that I'd have parents get in my face in the preseason, you better not hurt my son. It's not something I'm proud of. I had a habit of injuring my wrestling partners. It was a real problem. And it would often happen at a specific time in practice. And the time in practice was the portion where we were going live. This is a time in practice where you have a real match, six minutes, and we were supposed to be wrestling live like, like we're not playing around. This is not, this is not practice anymore. This is live wrestling. And yet, you know, the thing I, I needed to learn was that even as we wrestled live, I wasn't their opponent. I was their partner. I was trying to beat them, but I was also trying to make them better. Even wrestling live, I needed to try and help them, not hurt them. And if I was going to be helpful to my teammates, I needed to embrace the position that I actually had, and that was that of a partner. This was even going live. It wasn't a live match. Um, Some of you might be wondering, where was that when I played football? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, in order to perform the duties 
that God has for you as older women, you have to embrace the position of being older. You have to embrace it. You have to own it. And this means not allowing your pride to work against you coming to terms with your age, your spot in life, your position. There's, like we said with the guys last week, there's so many things that we could justify in our minds. Well, the, I, I am older than some, but I'm not as old as that lady. Or, yeah, I'm older, but I don't have this experience that somebody else has. Listen, the, when God says that older women are to serve younger women in this way, he doesn't specify how exactly. You'll all come at it from various angles. And you all have various giftings and past life experiences. Some of you had uh, three or six or ten children. Some of you had no children. But all of those experiences develop wisdom. And God is calling you as an older woman who's lived through life to share that wisdom, that instruction with those that are younger than you. And it's very easy to, to develop excuses or rationale in our minds. And for women that play over and over and over and over and over again, that keep us from ever getting at the work that God wants you to be engaged in. And so don't be afraid to come to terms with the position that God has put you in now and to own it because you aren't going to be useful in the way that God wants you to be and the way that you want to be. I think everyone actually wants to feel useful and know that they are useful. You're not going to be able to do that if you make excuses for, well, uh, you know, I'm really in this position over here. No, own the position that God's put you in and live by faith and don't let fear or pride to creep in and choke off your influence. Second, there can be a temptation to believe that once you aren't the one doing the things, and that's all I wrote, the person doing the things, I think you understand what I mean. The one that might be traveling with you know, the youth group or doing this or that or the one who has to run out. Once you're not the one in the heat of it anymore, you can be tempted to believe that there's not a place for you. That you're sort of second class. That you've been relegated to the tote of items that's getting dropped off at Goodwill next week. This is not the case. It's not the case. To think this way is to buy into the very popular, very prevalent lie that's all around us in culture that youthfulness is where it's at. That it's with the young that real wisdom is. That, it's to, be, that to be young is to be what's desired. It's better to be young than to be old. This teaching is always around us, whether it's said explicitly or whether it's said passively with images that are around us. Who do they use to advertise for this or that? I mean, it's, it's, all, it's so encompassing. The messages are so repetitive that we probably don't even notice them. This is what the world says. It's better to be young. Imitate that which is youthful. That's not what the Bible says. Again and again, the Bible says that wisdom is with the aged, that with long life, there is understanding. I read through Proverbs a few months ago, and that message came up again and again and again. The Bible is consistent with its message regarding age, that those who are older have much to offer, not just because they have much to offer, but because what they are offering is better. It goes deeper. The Bible teaches that those who are older should be respected, cared for, sought out, honored, imitated. But this is a foreign concept in America. I would encourage you to build your life 
on the truth of Scripture. Grab hold of what God is saying and live by it and die by it. You have much to share. Use the knowledges and the experiences and wisdom that come with age. Don't let all that just trickle out and not be useful anymore. The third thing, I think there can be a hesitancy to teach those that are younger because you think that those that are younger aren't interested in you. Often this is, in my experience, it's a perceived reality rather than a true reality. Um, I worked with youth for a long time, and I was younger even while I worked with youth, but this was seen in my life and in other youth leaders' lives again and again. I think often we came into a situation believing this reality in our heads that we weren't going to be accepted by the youth or that we weren't cool enough or that we weren't this or that, that we were boring, that we didn't, what were we going to share in common? Uh, for me, and I, this was just common stuff that we dealt with in the youth group. For me, I was younger at the time, so I maybe didn't share in, 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 in the age differential. Um, but I will say this, when I went to Switzerland and I was working there, man, the differences were elevated, and I did feel that way. Because here, you know, I'm five, six, eight years older than a lot of the people that I'm serving and leading. There, I maybe the, the age gap was still the same, but I didn't know French. I wasn't from Switzerland. I didn't know how to use the train system. I wasn't used to walking everywhere. I didn't know that you had to pay to play billiard balls. I didn't know anything. And so, when I was there, and there was a lot of difference between me and the people I was serving, even if the difference wasn't age, I felt out of my element, and I did feel the lie in my head. I, 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 I believe this thing that, like, they aren't going to like me, or what do I have to offer? And that was, I had to fight it a lot more than I did here. So I know it's there, but my experience in working with youth for nearly 10 years is that it's not true. We have all these perceptions in our minds. We tell ourselves these things again and again. And it's not true. They, they desire a relationship. But I had to own it. I had to initiate. Do, you don't need an invitation. I don't think it's common for younger people to feel like they have to pursue and invite older people in. I think that's the nature of, that's the nature of your childhood walking with you. You're used to the older person doing it. And we have to overcome that. We have to grow. We have to learn. But the perception that the young don't care is often wrong. Think about this. It might be that some are slow to invite you in or ask for help because they don't see a need. That's another reason why they might not think to invite you. You might see something that they don't. You know what amazes me? This is something that happens again and again and again and again and again in our home. And that is the propensity for our children's rooms to be a mess, and yet they think they're clean. We've got Legos. How many people got Legos in their house? How many people are you at the stage that I'm at? Yeah, we're going to be there for a while, it looks like. <laughs> you know, the boys, is your room clean? Yes, I walk by. Or worse, I, I walk into their room in the middle of the night when it's dark and I can't see. And I step on a Lego, one of a thousand on the floor. How can you tell me that your room is clean? Well, they're all organized. We're playing with them still. We're going to pick that, you know, to their mind, there's, there's not a thing out in the whole entire room. All those Legos are meant to be there. Of course, I say put them back in the box and take them out tomorrow. <laughs> That's what I say. 
Sometimes, listen, I, I'm not trying to disparage younger women, but sometimes they can't see the mess. Sometimes you will see things in a younger woman's life that they, they just don't, it's not registering with them. Or perhaps it's danger. Maybe it's not a mess, maybe it's danger. Mothers have this keen ability to discern dangerous situations that's developed through the process of mothering. A sense of danger as it relates to your children. Sometimes younger women don't sense danger in the same way that you can. You can help them, but you have to initiate. You have to pursue. You have to speak. You have to make that phone call. Invite them into a meaningful relationship with you. There are times, having said all this, that you'll be shut down. There will be times when your desire to help or encourage isn't received with warmth or appreciated. But I would encourage you, do not let those instances of rejection keep you from the calling and doing the work that God has given to you. Remember that mothering has never been about you. It's always been about laying your life down. This is your calling. This is God's desire for you. So persevere in it. The church needs mothers. Older women, do not let your glory fade. Don't let it fade. To those of you that are younger, I want to encourage you in a couple of ways. First, continue to live out your glory. The Bible has said, woman is the glory of man. I want to encourage you to keep living it out. Keep choosing to put on your glory every day and cherish the light of that glorious glow. I say to put it on. You might say, well, you just said that God said we are the glory of man. What, what do you mean put it on, Nathan? I say to put it on because you know that sin has left nothing unscathed. And so the Bible not only teaches that women are a glory, but there's a parallel truth to that. And the fact that is that women are the glory of man, but they also can be the grief of man. That's why in Proverbs it says, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness to his bones. You were created to be the glory. Clothe yourself in it every day. Well, what does this look like? Well, I mean, it's abbreviated by Paul in our passage. He's just riffing on the truths that are there from the very beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. He's just riffing on the truths about the way God created women and what he wants from them. That is your glory. Love your husbands. Love your children. Be sensible, pure. Work in the home. Be kind. Be subject to your own husbands in the Lord so that God's word won't be tarnished. That's what Paul says. But the world doesn't think too much of that sort of glory, does it? The only thing they have to offer the sort of woman that Paul is describing is either pity or scorn. They want to tear the seams of what God has sown into humanity. We live in a day that echoes the sentiment of the serpent when he whispered into Eve's ear, what God has said is good is actually bad. What God has created you to be is less than your real potential. Do you want to be enlightened? Do you want to really live the good life? Well, here, take this and eat. They say that unless you go out and you lasso your own glory and pull it into your side and then put it under your arm and keep it there tight, that you have nothing. You aren't living up to your ideal. But this is not true. Jesus said this, if I glorify myself, my glory is what? Nothing. If I glorify myself, it's nothing. But it is the Father who glorifies. 
It is the Father who glorifies. Whose glory are you going after? Whose glory are you going after? Ladies, don't buy into the lie that you have to go out and win the glory for yourself. God has created you to be a glory. Don't listen to the voices that tell you that it is more significant to teach other people about the rule of three or the Pythagorean theorem than to teach your own children about the universe. You've been given a beautiful, vast, deep calling by God. And so live in a way that seeks to attain to that calling. Live out the glory that God has created you for and rejoice in it and see the goodness of God in it. And I promise you that you will. You put your hand to work. You trust in the promise of God. And he is no man's debtor. That's the first thing. Second, don't fall into the conceitedness of youth. I already said it's all around us. Remember, America has no time for older people, but God does. Some of the, I was thinking about this as I was thinking about this sermon earlier this week. Some of the deepest encouragements to me as a young man have come from older women, I think, over the past two years. Some of the sweetest conversations, some of the conversations I think back about, I was having a horrible week and I felt like nothing was going right. And then I went and visited somebody in a nursing home. And I came away from that conversation feeling lifted and encouraged and with the wind in my sails to keep going. And that was God, but that was the words of an older woman encouraging me and praying for me. Don't buy the lie that those that are older have nothing to offer. Fight it. See the world as God sees it. Seek to have the same judgments of value that he does. Value the wisdom of those that are older than you, even if they don't seek you out. Seek them out. Third, and and this ties in with the second thing, recognize that you need help. Recognize you need help. Be humble and grateful for those that are willing to give of themselves to help you. Now, I realize that I already assured all of you that may consider yourselves older that younger women want relationships, and that's true. I do believe that they do. Um, But wanting a relationship and wanting, at times, instruction are different things. They are especially when you see a mess that a younger woman is oblivious to, or especially if you're in that position of younger that when somebody comes and sees something that you don't. That can be a hard pill to swallow. I think women are naturally territorial in their homes, with their children, with their husbands, and while this is natural and good to a degree, it can easily be taken too far. Remember, our passage says that older women are to likewise teach what is good so that they might encourage younger women And that word, I'm just going to share one thing about that word. That word does mean to encourage, but it also means the literal, in the Greek, it actually is to train. You maybe look in the margin of your Bible, it may say that there. To train the younger women. And that word train has a slightly different connotation, one that is harder to swallow. We need to recognize that in the church family, the work of the older woman serving as mothers to those that are younger is work that is helping to encourage, but also to train. And it's not just good work, it's not, it's necessary work. This isn't, God is, this is what the word of God is saying to us. And so I've encouraged the older women to do it, but I'm also encouraging the younger women to be receptive to it. And that is something that we need to, that that, that is a process that we need to walk through both ends in love and faith for each other and for God. Every one of us needs training. Finally, men, 
I want to reiterate that the women are the glory of this church. It is a wonderful thing to look out and see the young and the old living out their glory. And I praise God for it. But men, husbands, fathers, at this point I want to say, do you treat your wives like the glory that they are? Do you treat your wife like the glory that she is? A few years back, my wife and I had the, the, the opportunity to go to the Tower of London. And in that tower, we waited in long lines and looked at a whole lot of pieces on the wall until we came to the inner sanctum, the reason that everyone goes to the Tower of London, and that is to see the crown jewels in the, in the innermost part of that, right? So we went and we saw these crowns on display cases with plexiglass around and lots of special lighting. And the reason I bring it up and, and share that with you is we could tell the way that the British people think about that crown by the way that it was protected and, and lighted up. And, you know, we could just tell this was important. I don't think we saw anything in the British Museum or anywhere else that had that much fanfare surrounding one element of their na- natural, n- national history. There's this crown. They loved it. They protected it. There were armed guards everywhere. We could tell as outsiders who had never, never been there in our life the immense value that they placed on this. And the reason I share that with you is to say, men, you've been called to be the head, but your wife is the glory. She is the crown that sits upon it. She is your glory. Does she know that? Does she know that? Do you treat her that way? Do others know that she is your glory? Your children Do they know that your wife is your glory? Remember, we might have thought we told her six months ago on our anniversary date. Uh Uh-uh. Ain't working for her. I know. I'm married. And I try to do this as well as I can. And yet I know that for as much of a glory as she is, she is prone to thinking things negatively about herself all the time. I think women can do that. They see their failures. They aren't as proud as men are, and they dwell on it. Men, are we working every day to share with our wives what we think about their glory? Do our children praise their mother? Do you tell her every day how grateful you are for her? Do you delight in her as the father delights in his son? That's the comparison that's made by Paul in Corinthians. I hope so. I hope that this is the case for us. There's, there's work and good work and rewarding work that God has called each and every one of us into. As this wonderful, glorious, messy family, we each have a position, and it's been given to us by God. And we will be so happy as we live out our callings in accordance with God's word. And so I encourage you, whether you're a husband and father, whether you're a child, whether you're an older or a younger woman, live it out and let God show you his goodness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for calling us to works that you've prepared beforehand so that you might be glorified and so that a watching world will know that we are, in fact, your disciples, that we have had hearts and minds that have been renewed, that we have uh, in ourselves people that have been born again to a new and living way, the way of Jesus Christ. And so we pray that we would honor his word this week and throughout life. And may you show us your goodness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.